does take a while to sort of penetrate the general population's mind and discourse when we think about electric cars. We still have to defend them because of charge time. Start driving electric, you realize that's just utterly irrelevant. It really doesn't matter for almost the entire time. That is why electric vehicles are better. So as you'll maybe pick up in this episode, I'm a bit of an EV nerd. And so I really enjoyed talking to James McKemmy, Head of Policy and Public Affairs at PodPoint. We get into the weeds on the EV charging ecosystem and how this market and infrastructure is likely to develop in the future. To begin with, I asked James to tell us a little bit about PodPoint. Sure. So PodPoint was founded in March 2009. So I guess we're coming up on our 14th year uh, in March, or in our 14th year, it'll be 14 years uh, anniversary in March. We're a charging infrastructure provider, and, and that ranges from home charging units through workplace, destination, and some DC charging as well. So we do kind of the whole suite of it. We're focused predominantly on our home market of the UK. We have had some activity in the past in Norway, a little bit in mainland Europe a long time ago, but very much UK focused. These days a little bit in Ireland as well. Very, very much a a mission-driven organisation. The mission is travel shouldn't damage the earth. We were founded by our current CEO, he's still in post, Eric Fairbairn, and he previously had a supercar club where people would pay, you know, 10 grand a year fee, whatever it was, and they got to drive his fleet of Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all that sort of stuff. And that was uh, some success, and he, he sold that to a competitor. But I think that left him with a view that I like building the business, but might actually want to have a net positive contribution as well. And he, he's an automotive guy, and he knew that the electrification of vehicles was on its way. And he had a look at that and thought, you know, maybe that could be the next opportunity. Maybe there's something really juicy in there. I think his first thought was, I could make a car, having come off the Ford graduate program. And I don't think that lasted very long when he did some sums on the capital requirements for that. He looked at sort of what's happening in green energy, so or if there was an opportunity there, and felt that was already well on its way. But between the two, the infrastructure was really not developed. I mean, with good reason. When we started, there weren't really any cars. Yeah, there's things like the G-Wiz. There's like the first couple of Teslas at that point on the road, the old sort of Lotus conversions. But that's where he saw the opportunity and, and, and set to work there. So from that day, and you know, back in, in 2009 when he, he launched the company, that mission has really driven us the entire time. We've been through some changes over that time, as you could imagine. I guess we could go through various phases of the company. Maybe for any entrepreneur, I, th- I think he's pretty proud that uh, we went through an IPO about a year ago in, in November. So we are now publicly listed on the London uh, Stock Exchange as well, which I guess is a, a hell of an achievement for something which uh, you know he came up with. Uh, he tells me he came up with it in the shower. So there we are. So before we go any further, James, I, I need to ask, what does Eric drive now? Sounds like he was a real petrol head before so what is he driving now that's right so he's got a, a v8 Mustang. no he's got uh he's currently driving an <laughs> I, I think he's got an id3 and an aldi e-tron so i think he had a bit of a leasing challenge he's it's a rather unpopular thing to be these days, but he's quite a fan of elon musk so he's he's had a few teslas and he's a big fan of those he, I, I think he might actually have got a model y about a week ago and he's got a uh, an x on order but um as you may well know that the x hasn't been on sale in the uk for quite a long time so getting up the company lease scheme is a bit tricky so i think that's where he's headed but uh, i haven't said yet so now id3 and an audi a3 tron would you believe he's had a few at this point he has been driving electric cars for a while i guess as we all have so james 
culturally at Point Point, is it frowned upon to drive anything other than an EV? Does anybody dare rock up in a diesel? That's right. We publicly flog it. No, um, no. <laughs> Obviously, we offer electric vehicles through a company car scheme, salary sacrifice scheme, which is well taken up by those who want to use that. Uh, Historically, we were a shortage-based tech startup, so not that many people actually had cars because it's a bit of a daft idea to own a car in central London. Uh, But as we move forward, yeah, I think more and more people are are, are starting to drive EVs. Of course, you know, we're still at early stages of uptake, right? We we get quite excited about where we are in terms of new car sales figures, got to, you know, 20, 20%, something like that. But in terms of vehicles on the road, we're still in the region of 1%. So our staff, we will have some people who are are still, you know, as we say, uh, using the dinosaur juice to get around. But uh, we would like them to move to electric cars when the time right for them, of course, and I'm sure they will as well. But yeah, there is no public flogging or anything like that. Excellent, excellent. James, before we really get into it, we were were talking earlier and we're both Tesla drivers, and I'm always struck that when I have to find a non-Tesla charger, it's a little bit like the Wild West. There's different providers, different apps. Seems quite fragmented. Can you tell me about what that landscape looks like from your perspective? Yeah, I, I guess so. You're particularly referring to the on-route charging there. And I presume, do you have a home charger yourself, Kenny? I do, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so so if you can charge at home, almost all of your charging requirement is fulfilled, right? Uh, Anything else can be a nice to have if you can top up when you're out and about if you've got a home charger. And therefore, your need state is usually to hit an on-route charge on the high-powered stuff. And I think one of those key advantages for Tesla is that they invested themselves in their their supercharger network, which has been very, very successful for them. Uh, If you don't have the opportunity, then you have to use, obviously, well, you can now use some superchargers because they're opening a few up, but otherwise you're, you're using sort of you know, motorway service charging, etc., and and obviously that's run by uh, largely our competitors. It's, it's one market that Podpoint has, I guess, we've been somewhat hesitant to enter. It's a very, very high capital requirement market. It's quite risky uh, as a result of that. But certainly we see our friends, the likes of, of GridServe and Instavolt, etc., have started to make some major investments into those areas. And we see that getting better and better all the time. But I think it's fair to say that the supercharger network is probably still quite an asset to Tesla where we are today. Certainly, I, I had a friend get married in, in Switzerland in April and I, I drove down there with my wife and certainly having the supercharger network on that kind of journey was very, very sort of welcome and made things incredibly easy for, for that journey. But I do think we will get there in time. There's certainly some government investment into the rapid charging network, the rapid charging fund, looking to bring you know, really big, really ambitious grid connections to motorway service locations and a few other uh, sort of parts of the strategic road network as well that's going to bring quite a lot of that on stream. When we look at Popoint's role on that, I guess we, we really want to be quite picky about anything that we invest in in that area. And ultimately, I guess our view is that network needs to get good no matter who does it. And that starts to relieve one of those barriers to mass adoption that means more people get into electric vehicles and then we'll pick them up in other parts of what we call the charging ecosystem. I wonder if you can tell us more about the ecosystem as you see it, James. I I picked the on-route charging area earlier as it's my direct experience when I'm, you know, say, driving up to Scotland for Hogmanay. But but tell us more about the wider system. Absolutely. So this is, I guess, the Podpoint mantra, as it were. Uh, if you can understand the way we conceptualise the charging ecosystem, you start to see why we put our attention in the areas that we do. So if I could go to absolute fundamentals, this, Kenny, you know this better than anyone, but I always say uh, to someone coming into this industry that your friends will ask you two questions. And the first question would be, how far do they go? Increasingly, they're getting more and more confident with that. When you tell them 300 miles, and they go, oh, what, what, in the cold, and you're like, yeah, pretty much. They're like, 
oh, okay, that's fine. I'm all right with that. But the second question you still get hit with, which is how long does it take to charge? And the reason you ask that question is that's the way you use a petrol car. You drive it around, you deplete the fuel to almost nothing, and you hit one of these fairly ubiquitous petrol stations, and then you put an enormous amount of stored energy into your car. And of course, the rate of uh, transfer of that energy is astronomical. You're tens of megawatts of power because rate transfer energy is, is power. It's very hard to replicate that. Okay. Now, of course, in, in petrol cars, they waste most of that energy because the nature of the machine is horrendously inefficient. Uh, but even getting to something like five, six megawatt charging, which will be your, I don't know, maybe a, you know, a couple, few minutes to do 200 miles, isn't really practical. So that feels to a petrol driver like a backward step, or that's worse then. And that's based on this idea. If you ask any driver of any car to talk to you about their car, they will describe it back to you as a mobile object, the mobile object they experience it as. And that's a fundamental lie. It's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. Your car is a stationary object that very occasionally moves. In fact, they move for less than 5% of their life. So the refueling model is, is actually rubbish. We're just used to it. But you buy this asset, which you don't use for over 95% of its life. And if you actually want to put any more energy into it, you have to interrupt your trips now and then, you know, every, every week or so, to put the energy into it, as opposed to using the over 95% of its life to put very low-cost energy into your car while you're doing something else, be it sleeping, working, shopping, whatever else it might be. And that convenience win is so profound. You're a man who's experienced this for some time. It makes you a bit of a convert. I think you want to tell your friends about it for, for a while. But it does take a while to sort of penetrate the, the general population's mind and discourse when we think about electric cars. We still have to defend them because of charge time. Start driving electric, you realize that's just utterly irrelevant. It really doesn't matter for almost the entire time, with the exception of those times that you might get caught in a long journey. So that is why electric vehicles are better. You don't want to replicate an electric petrol pump. And the, the, the physics aren't in your, in your favor if you want to try, okay? What you want to do is put low-cost charging points in all the places that your car spends its time doing nothing, and that is beautiful, right? That is what we call the charging ecosystem. So now we look at the charging ecosystem, we think, where are those places? So pop points mission, travel should damage the earth. How do we do it? Put a pop point everywhere you park. Okay, where do you park? Where do, you spend, where do your car spend most of its time? Probably at home. Right, uh, that's probably the number one place, and we predict about sixty percent of all energy is likely to flow into people's cars at home. Okay, today it's higher than that. Today it's like eighty percent. That's because people like me who can't home charge, we are going to be slower to adopt EVs than yourself, Kenny. When it's an absolute doddle, you've got a home charger. Okay, as we come into the market, that eighty comes down to sixty. We think about thirty or so percent of charging is likely to happen in the workplace. Now, that's a very, very high proportion, okay? But if you think about it, again, from that ecosystem concept, it's somewhere where people's cars spend a very, very long time parked, and it's a massive, massive opportunity to charge them. I like to conceptualize that as people living the dream who can charge at home and or charge at work. It's a really good backbone charger if you can't charge at home. and get you, know, you can get an EV very happily if you've got a regular workplace charger. And the third category there is your fleet and depot applications, so vans charging overnight, things like that. Between those two, 90% of all charging. And if we exclude a tiny bit of red diesel in plant in workplaces, today there is no refueling happening in those locations. So charging and refueling are fundamentally different things, okay? And, and if we ask the general public to conceptualize what charging EV infrastructure looks like, it's probably going to be a petrol station. 
But no, actually, the infrastructure for charging electric vehicles is almost entirely discrete sockets on people's walls at their homes and at their work. And that's a big mindset shift. It still leaves at least 10%. And the workplace thing, you know, it sits on our commercial channel. So it can be slightly blurred lines. But we, we have, say, about 7% of charging happening at destinations. And I define those as places you were going to go anyway. So we've got a very high profile rollout with Tesco. You may well choose to go and do your shopping at Tesco over its competitors because Tesco is going to offer to charge your car for you while you're there. But ultimately, you're there to shop, right? It's a secondary background activity. That's destination charging. It can be a range of powers. You've got to meet your, your match your dwell time with your available power, all those sorts of things. So it can be DC, fast charging. It can be AC, whatever it might be, but it's secondary. The final category you have just at 3%. So you, you asked me about it straight away, which is the on-route charging, the supercharging network, as it were. We think that's really quite a small piece of charging. Now, that's not saying it's not important, because if you don't have a good on-route network, then you're materially limited to half the range of your car, because you've got to get there and you've got to get back. With a proper on-route network, and we're talking in excess of 150 kilowatt charging now, because the batteries have got bigger and it needs to be. 50 is too slow now. That piece there allows you to go anywhere you want, whenever you want to, and it's as much as anything, optically frees you to think, well, the electric vehicle has no material constraints in the same way a petrol car will take me wherever I want, whenever I want to. So that's vitally, vitally important. So why only 3%? Because we don't actually use it that regularly, right? So I cannot remember the last time I used a DC charger. I have no home. I have no work. I charge exclusively at destinations. I can't remember my last DC charge. Now, I would definitely have done a lot of it in April because I went to Switzerland and came back. I might have done another one since April. Uh, we're now in December. Uh, and that gives an idea. You know, so I, a lot of our charging happens that my wife has a nice gym and there's a, there's a nice charger there, right? So that does a lot of our charging. Otherwise, we tend to target uh, car parts with a charging point. It just becomes a force of habit. And the car charges while we're shopping, while we're doing something else. Of course, we drop a Tesco and top up there as well. So that on-route network, vitally important though it is, you find you might not use anywhere near as much as you expect when you come from a petrol car. So that ecosystem concept really defines PopPoint's kind of strategy of where we look to go. We're very strong in home charging, very strong in workplace, we're very strong in destination. We're probably a bit lighter on on-route where we are today, but trying to put those pod points anywhere you park, that's what we're trying to do. That's so helpful, James. And thinking about it, I came into this asking you about the on-route network because I think I kind of take the home charging for granted now. I just plug in when I get home and then I don't think about it. Whereas as a Scot living in the southwest of England, I'm driving to Scotland a few times a year. And so I really rely on the the charging network to make that trip. I have to say as well, I have chosen Tesco's to shop because it has charging. And so it looks like that partnership is working for you both from my perspective. Indeed. And I have to say, you know, as much as having to do a regular drive from the south of England to, to Edinburgh is probably fairly atypical. But I have to say, people focus on that more than the amount of charging that happens there. But it is a very valid point, right? The real nightmare experience you're likely to have in an EV is if you are running out and you can't find a charger, and that burns a big hole in in, in your memory of, of what using an EV is like. And we see that getting kind of overvalued. Um, so there is a bit of a challenge for car reviewers who get a car, dumped on the drive, right, drive it, tell us what it's like. And you are immediately beholden to the on-route network. You you just have to be. You can't sit there and go, okay, well, I'm going to wait seven hours, then I'll head out. Because I've only got a day with it. I've got to go out, out and drive. Um, I've seen some, you know, certainly high profile. There's a, a political commentator, and um, I think he's on ALB's ears, Ian Dale, took one of those Audi RSE trottens out. Predictably loved the car, but found the drive, the charging experience a nightmare. You know, wasn't 
wasn't well informed on what was happening with it all, just went straight off and, and things didn't go right for him. And obviously had a really negative opinion at the end of that. So on recharging is really important. It does have to get right. As I say, it's just, yeah, you'll go months without using it. So James, you mentioned how capital intensive the OnRoute network is. How important is it to have scale in order to achieve competitive advantage in this space? So we we balance two things against each other at PowerPoint. So most of our competitors specialize in an area. So we've got a lot of people who do only home charging, people who only do rapid charging, things like that. So that gives you an ability to focus your product development, et cetera, quite um, fully on those things. Whereas we are across a whole load of different applications and, and that can be a constraint. But it also works in our favor. Uh, so people will tend to know us from Tesco and therefore be quite comfortable buying our home charging unit. You know, these are the charging guys. They should be great. So those two things balance each other out, I think. Uh, in terms of e- economies of scale, I guess one of our great challenges in industry is the scaling that we need to do. And and we've already seen, you know, if if you're like me and you've been at the company since before there was a car, the scaling we've already done blows my mind. You, 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 the thing we're working at a company is you go in and deal with problems every day and everything only looks decent in the rear view mirror and you see how far you've come. But, you know, we're 1% of the way here and we have so far to go ahead of us that actually scaling our operation to keep up with demand as that starts to hit is is you know, has already proved quite challenging. It's only going to get more so uh, as we move forward. And yeah, sort of efficiencies and economies of scale within that process are going to be really, really important. As we look at the moment, and we may come onto this, but I think the primary constraint we're seeing on growth in our industry is a lack of delivery of new electric vehicles. Um, so we often get it put to us by uh, the car industry via the SMMT that one of the things holding back the UK adoption of electric vehicles is the charging network. Now, um, that puts us in an interesting position because we're not going to turn around and say, no, there are enough chargers, everyone can stop buying them. We're very clear that you need a lot of chargers, right? So yes, we do need to keep doing that. But when your lead time on a car is over a year, I think you're struggling to come back and tell us there's a problem with demand. And a lack of supply of vehicles is a, a rate limiting factor for our industry at this time. Now, when I started, we were very strange people in a very strange industry, you know, in suits carrying large charge points up the stairs at regional council offices and things like that. It's a different game now. Everyone knows this is going to be, you know, it's the here and now as much as it is the future. So it's definitely here, the momentum's there. But unless we get the cars on the road at, at scale and keep growing that, that's going to be a limiting factor for the infrastructure as well. So a key part of that is the economies of sale, uh, scale on the car side, which will come. Um, but I think we're a little bit limited by supply chain constraints coming out the back of the pandemic. Somewhat the Ukraine war. I understand there's some quite key parts of the automated supply chain which have been operating out of Ukraine, which has been uh, very challenging for them. And I think we actually might have some rate, some, some fundamental limits on the on the mineral front at the moment. So the, the price of lithium, which is only a minority component of lithium-ion cells, has got very high and stayed, right? Which is an indication that we need to bring a lot more production on scale on the lithium side as well. So that needs scale as well. Interesting, interesting. So if you're across all of those different areas, do you see yourselves as a technology company, as an infrastructure company, as a maintenance company? How do you view yourselves? We have to be all of them. Um, you know, in the dim and distant past, I think Eric said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur that starts 10 businesses. And then he got a few months into this and he was like, what have I done? 
you know, there are so many facets to an infrastructure company, you have to do all of it. We can be uh, rather mean to our hardware team and describe what we do as providing plug sockets with radio strapped to them, but ultimately that is basically what we do at the hardware front. So the more sexy stuff tends to happen on the, the software side. Uh, so we, you know, post-IPO have invested a lot on the tech side of our business, and that's really, really starting to pay dividends. Some of the projects we've been working on recently, just not the world's most exciting stuff, but compliance with the smart charge regulations, which previously would have proved extraordinarily difficult uh, to us. It looks like we're coming through that pretty well, and we'll be fully compliant with both the June and upcoming December regs. So we're starting to see that, that, that bear fruit. But as we move forward, I guess one of the areas that we've foreseen forever not forever, at least since the birth of the company, is in order to do this at scale, real mass adoption of electric vehicles and do and work in harmony with the grid, you have to make the most of demand side response and flexibility. And I think that would be a key area of where technology has a huge part to play, right? We need to make sure that we can uh, defer charging, ramp down charging at certain times in a way that doesn't materially disadvantage any of our customers whilst also ensuring that we don't overload the grid at, 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 you know, at the wrong time and, and equally allowing, allowing customers to draw their electricity at a time when it may become cheaper for them to charge versus times when it's expensive, etc. So we are in our infancy on de- delivering those, but certainly the way we developed all our, our solutions is so that that can be brought to market retrospectively through firmware updates, etc. And some of those projects are now rolling internally as well, looking at trying to make that real. And, and certainly the recent crisis with gas and the, uh, uh, the price of electricity at the moment has certainly, I think, sharpened minds that that really does have to be the future. So looking forward, what are the big challenges for PodPoint at the moment? What problems are you guys trying to solve at the moment? We're very reliant on the electric car. And, and, and generally, if we look at the move towards the electric vehicle, mass adoption electric vehicles, we always state there are essentially five barriers, three core ones, which is range costs and infrastructure. So range, we think, is broadly solved. I think we'll have an arms race for range that will take us 500, 600 mile cars. And then everyone will realize that I, d- I really don't need that. And that was a lot of wasted money on a big battery that I hardly ever get down to like 300. And then we'll come down and we'll segment. And then we'll, I reckon we'll see some quite short range city cars coming back when people are comfortable with the, the charging infrastructure. But range, pretty much solved. Infrastructure, you don't solve that in one go. Right? It's like coral. It kind of has to grow up just ahead of demand and keep things going. So that's that's doing okay. I think you've identified we've got some concerns on the on-route side. That needs to get a little bit better, particularly for the non-Tesla drivers. But it's doing pretty well, I think. Certainly, SMMT would have said we never get to this level up to uptake with the network that we had. And actually, hey, it turns out we're doing absolutely fine. The demand is roaring on. So infrastructure is doing okay. Uh, not to be complacent, we do need to keep it growing. Third of those is cost. That hasn't moved too much recently. And uh, we've seen dramatic falls in the cost of batteries, which has been spectacular, right? That is the most exciting dynamic happening in this industry. You know, forget faster charging batteries or anything like that. It's the cars getting cheaper that are really going to change the game here. And I guess that's allowed us to get 50k cars with 250, 300 mile range. But, you know, we want to see 25k cars uh, with that in the fullness of time. And I think the supply chain constraints, inflation crisis, all those sort of things has given us a bit of a pause really in terms of progress on that. Outside those two, there are what I call the soft barriers of education and perception. Can I really get an electric car? What happens if it runs out of petrol? Uh, petrol uh, runs out of charge? Aren't they a bit weedy? 
oh, I, I want a nice fast V8. No, as I say, the, the roar of obsolescence. Obviously, the answer to that is that their vehicles are violently <laughs> quicker than anything else. They're, cinch- they're just the best cars. And actually, that's the answer to why will electric vehicles win? Because they're better cars, mate. That's all there is to it. They're better cars by a mile. Uh, maybe not on the track yet, but I'm, we'll see on that one. But I've mentioned it already. The choice and availability of vehicles is, is the number one constraint in our market today. And there is no question about that. Anyone that's not a problem you guys can solve, right? That's not a port point problem. No. You know, so if we if we go out there and made some extraordinary investments in proactive investments in infrastructure and everyone goes, tell you what, anyone could drive an electric vehicle around here, then those wait lists might go to a year and a half. And what have we achieved? You know, so um, <laughs> at, at the minute, bring us cars. That's it. So we've got this wonderful 2030, 2035 deadline, this ambition, which is very clearly showing us the way in due course. And then we have things like the ZEV mandate on its way, which is supposed to be the, the lower bound, which is saying you must hit this minimum. So we, we're hopeful that remains quite ambitious to keep the, the OEMs you know, chugging away at this and, and, and bringing stuff to market quickly. And if we look at this from a climate change point of view, the sooner we do it, the better. We want to get these things on the road because they, they are just offsetting, avoiding zone emissions from other things. So, so we really want OEM to commit to this wholeheartedly. You know, if you're an OEM, you do not want to be investing in engines, right? Or oh, I tell you what, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a more efficient diesel. No, no, I wouldn't do that. So yeah, that's, that's the big constraint at the moment. Within Podpoint, one of our challenges has internalized that it's serene. Everything's perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong and we are perfectionists. <laughs> I'm glad to. Pass. So uh, the slowdown and delivery of cars uh, has a front end impact to, to Podpoint. Uh, I think we released uh, some information to market because we're now public uh, uh, about that to be on the home. We see that straight away in home charging. So less cars coming through. And we're an industry that's used to quite substantial double digit growth year on year. Uh, and we're now looking at, you know, low single figure growth. So basically we're selling as many EVs this year as we sold last year, which is yeah still pretty cool. But when we're expecting to grow, that can be a bit of a challenge. Then we have the technology side. We've got quite a lot of regulation coming along at the moment, which is uh, so smart charger to consumer experience uh, hitting us at the same time, which both require quite significant pri- uh, hardware requirements. We have loads of ideas at Podpoint and uh, prioritising our roadmap can be very, very challenging and I don't think that'll change moving forward. As I say, I'm, very, I, I'm increasingly bullish because we've got some awesome people who've joined our, our software team and stuff is really starting to move at this point. Otherwise, other things that are a challenge, I mean, everything's a challenge, Kenny, let's be honest, mate. You can to a business. True, true story. Everywhere true story. As I said earlier, business success only appears in the rearview mirror. Every day you come in and, and it's, it's grief and problems and solving all those sorts of things. And then you look back and go, you know, well, that actually went pretty well, didn't it? My goodness, look how far we've come. And, uh, you know, so if we look back at what we've done, to go, actually, we, we're doing okay. When you get in the office every day, oh, what's gone wrong? Okay, well, how are we going to fix that? And that's that's the truth of it on the day-to-day basis. I can, I can absolutely relate to that, James. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really interesting to hear how you view this market and how you see things developing in the future. I really wish you and Portpoint every success in the future. No, it's been a pleasure, Kenny. It's been great to talk to you. And huge thanks again to you for listening. We make this podcast because we're energy transition and infrastructure geeks. If you'd like to join a community of like-minded people, head over to members.projectfinanceinstitute.com and sign up for free. You'll find regular webinars, free financial modeling training and networking events. What's not to like? See you next time. The Project is a production of the Project Finance Institute. Find out more at projectfinanceinstitute.com. 
Today's episode was presented by Kenny Whitler-Jones and edited and mixed by Bren Russell. 